Thank you, Graham. Good morning. My favorite service, the 1130 service. You have, you have slept well, you have eaten well, you have caffeinated well, and you're ready to go. Uh, my name is Caleb, for those of you who are on the newer side of things, and uh, welcome. I wanted to tell you something starting out this service this morning, and that is that yesterday morning I did body pump. <clears throat> uh, body pump is... Uh, particular exercise, because you're clearly unfamiliar, uh, is an exercise class at the 24-Hour Fitness. I went downtown. My wife, Hillary, does it all the time. And so we went down there in the 9 a.m. class, because uh, my day off is uh, Monday, which is tomorrow. This was just Saturday. Pay no attention to that comment. Um, and so, but yesterday morning, 9 a.m., we're there, and we have uh, a baby Jack now. He's nine months, so I'm like, e- you know, people can watch. He's nine months. He's not going to die. He, people can, we can trust someone else with him for like an hour. And so they have this like little kids' room where you can drop off your kids, check them in, sign them out, the whole deal. And so I'm waiting. I walk in. I'm like, hey, ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check in my kid. And she's like, oh, I can't. We're full. Uh, we've got 10 kids, and it's just me. I'm already a little concerned about that ratio. And so, and she's like, so you got to wait until a parent comes and gets their kid, and then we'll take your kid. And I'm like, oh, man, but the class is starting. Sorry, Hill, I can't, I can't do the body pump with you. And she's like, no, 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 you'll do the body pump. I'm going to go up and set our spaces out, and then you will come after you check Jack in, and I'll have the space set for you. I'm like, okay. So I wait. A couple moms come down. They get their kids. I hand over Jack, check him in. Jack, be good. And I head up to the body pump class, downtown, 24-hour fitness. And I walk in the door, open up the glass door, I step in, and then I see that this, this class is well underway. I'm about like eight minutes late, and they're on like squat 64. And they're, they're just like cranking them out in there. And so I look, and I see there's about four, at least 40 people in there, 40 women, uh, and, um, and about four guys. And so uh, they're all lying. And Hillary chose a spot like way up in the very, very front at the opposite side of the room. And so to get there, I would have had to like step over about 20 people and try to avoid their barbells as they're, you know, uh, as they're on their shoulders. And I just looked at the thing and I was just like, I'm good. And so I left and I went back out. But Hillary up in front sees me through the mirrors. And she puts down her barbell and she steps over everybody and walks her way all the way outside, opens up the door and comes and gets me and said, please, I already set up your spot. Just come in. It's okay. No one cares. I'm like, oh, now I have to come in. They just watched you walk out to get me. And so I walk in and the, the lady with the Britney Spears mic is like doing her thing and she's really funny and she pops off and is like, oh, this is the first time I've seen a wife literally dragging her husband to body pump. This is going well. So I, I step over people as they're doing their training and try not, you know, try not to interfere, get up to our spots. As I'm walking past, there's one of the four guys in the class. Uh, I walk right past him, and he sees me, and he gives me one of these. So, <laughs> and, and what he means is, bro, I'm so glad you're here, so I'm not the only guy, you know? And that's, that's what he's really saying. And I look back at him, I'm just like, what's up? And what I really mean is, dude, you're on your own uh, because I'm here with my wife. You're just wearing high shorts and no excuse. So uh, I'm just kidding. It's actually a good class. I got got a good little workout in. But I tell you that story because this Britney Spears Mike uh, teacher up at the front was really good and, and, and humorous. And she was, you know, you know, a fun person. But she said something that stuck with me. She said, 
come on, everybody, join the body pump revolution, as they're going. And she goes, we're changing the world one squat at a time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I, I, you're doing good. I mean, you're helping people's health. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I, you, I mean, you can change the world with 200 squats. I'll change the world with 30 squats. Uh, I'm good with, with that number. But it made me think, like, she really believes in what she's doing. She really believes that she's helping people and training people and making them more fit and healthy and helping them have better habits and better, you know, energy for the week and everything. And she's, she's committed to it. But I, but I thought about that idea of revolution, and I wonder if you guys really realize and appreciate that you're a part of the biggest, most life-changing revolution in the history of mankind. That there is a revolution that's been going on, and it's still happening. And in some ways, it's very subtle, and people miss it. And in other ways, it's the most obvious transforming thing that, you, that you'll ever encounter. I remember... Uh, I have, a, I have a friend of mine who meets, some of you have heard me tell this, that he meets with a couple of guys every year, either in New York City or London, and they, they, they're like kind of, one's high up in parliament, and the other's like a former senator, and one guy in business, and, and they, they're best friends, they've been friends for a long time, and they get together in some pub or restaurant once a year, and they sit down with each other, and they look at each other, and one of them always leans in and says, is the revolution still on? Is the revolution still on? And then they tell each other stories and encourage each other because they're all in these places of influence and they feel like, to, to a man, each one of them, they feel like they're swimming against the stream. And they, and they feel like they're climbing up a hill in terms of their vocation or their influence or what they're trying to do. And they feel like everything in the culture and in the world is saying one thing and they're trying to influence it in this other way and do good and bring change and follow God and what God would want, and, and they need to rally together just at least once a year and, and, and encourage each other and say, is the revolution still on? Are we still doing this? Is it still possible? Does Jesus still work? Is, is God still changing lives? Are we still a part of what he's doing in his mission? Because it can be confusing sometimes, and it's easy to forget and get discouraged. And so we want to ask, I want to ask you this morning, if the revolution is still on, if you're still in, or maybe you're still exploring and wondering for yourself, like, is this Jesus thing legit? And so we've done this, we've begun this series called The Outsider's Guide to Jesus because we want to study the book of Luke because Luke was a guy who was wondering if the revolution was legit. He hadn't met Jesus, and yet something about Jesus and his followers radically impacted him to the point where he was ready to give his life for this cause. And so he went out and he did fact-finding and he studied everything he could about Jesus. He says, you know, there's, there's things in this Bible that I don't understand. It's too, I didn't grow up learning this. It's too much for me. It doesn't really connect. It doesn't all make sense. I want to investigate who Jesus really is. And so he went and he he asked people that were eyewitnesses, and he, he found things out, and he went to different locations and interviewed, and he put all this down, and so we've been looking at it. And one of the things, if you're, if you're just joining us in the past couple of weeks, we talked about how there was this woman named Mary, and God, an, an angel showed up and said, hey, uh, I, you're going to be pregnant, and you're going to carry the Son of God. 
I know, it's crazy, it's tough to believe, it's a wild, kooky thing in some ways, but just go with me here. You're going to give birth to God's son. And not only that, he's going to save the world. He's going to live, he's going to die, he's going to die a brutal death, but he's going to die a brutal death to pay for the humanity's sins. And she's like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, let's do this. And then there's another story of a woman named Elizabeth. She tried, she wanted desperately to have kids. All her life, and she was 80 years old, never had, never had a child. And then the angel shows up to her and, she sa- and says, hey, you're going to be pregnant. And your kid, people are going to call him John the Baptist, and your kid's going to kind of pave the way. And he's going to be like the, like the trumpet that sounds and says, hey, hey, Jesus is coming. The Son of God is coming. That's going to be your kid, Elizabeth. And so we told those stories recently, and now we pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. This is after Mary has just been told that she's going to give birth to Jesus, God's son. And so she's pumped, and she goes to visit her relative, this Elizabeth. At, the time, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Real quick here, it's important to, I think, understand that in this day, women did not travel alone. So the fact that Mary, who's probably like 13, 14 years old, is traveling by herself says something interesting. It says that she actually believed that this new little fetus growing inside of her could protect her. Otherwise, she would not have traveled alone. So she travels by herself to her relative's house, and she shows up. And when she does... She meets her cousin, her, her relative Elizabeth, and it goes on right here. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, the mother of the God of the universe, who's going to be born to you, should come and visit me? As soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So Mary walks in and says, hey, Elizabeth. And when she says that, when Mary walks in the door, this this about six-month-old John the Baptist in her belly leaps for joy. Now, at six months, maybe she'd already felt like an elbow roll, a little kick here and there when she had some salsa or something like that. But when Mary carrying fetus Jesus, just steps across the threshold of the house. Little John the Baptist in the womb jumps, kicks, screams, dances, as if to say, that's my guy. Jesus is about a pea size. That's my guy. That's that's why I exist. I'm going to pave the way and announce that he's coming. And he's just grooving inside of her, and she's like, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this before. It's the moment you you walked in. This started happening. And Jesus has been stirring things up in people and bringing things to life and bringing purpose to life ever since. And and you just imagine her, her like, uh, I, I barely even realize that you're, you're pregnant. Like, you're, just, you're not showing, you're not anything. And, and yet, this little pea-sized fetus, Jesus, is inspiring 
this baby within me. I wonder if, if some of us have, have maybe been a little bit reluctant to believe and to get excited that this really is the God of the universe. Because if he is, it changes everything. If he really is the God of the universe, and he came in this weird, crazy, hard-to-believe way, and he really did live this perfect life and die, it changes everything. And Mary believed. You get a, you, you, it's clear that Mary believed. You see in verse 45, it says, Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Blessed is she because just the simple belief in this crazy scheme that she says, yes, I believe. Let's do this thing. And you can tell that she believes because in, in the next verses, she sings a song. Like you do when, when you're pumped that God is using you, that you are a part of his story. So the next verse says, and Mary said, or sang, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Quick little side note. When it says fear him there, it doesn't mean like scared of the dark kind of afraid. It's like a reverence. It's an honoring. For those who honor, who respect this God, for generation to generation will be blessed, she sings. Which means, I mean, how many of you, you probably, a number of you, have seen God's mercy and his faithfulness throughout generations? Because you can look back at parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, however back in the lineage, of people who simply believed God. And now you have this legacy. You see God's hand in your family's life. Others of you, that's not the case. You, you've experienced life in a different way. Some of you, it's just been chaos. And now for you, you're saying, now starting with me in this generation and going forward, God, show us your mercy. Show us your favor as Mary is singing. She goes on in verse 51. God has performed mighty deeds with his own arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inner thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. How many of you have been around a filthy, rich person who is just completely unsatisfied? Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. You see, this isn't like a cute little like Christmas with you know, reindeer and lollipops kind of a song. This is a song about revolution. This is a song about saying all the social norms that you see in the world around you, all the, all the regular things about people who are just trying to lift themselves up, who are just trying to go up and to the right, who are just trying to get more money, more stuff, more fame, more accolades, all that stuff. She's singing, God's flipping that upside down. And he's using humble people like me, 13-year-old girl that no one knows or cares about. And he's redeeming the life of this Elizabeth who for 80 years was desperate to have a kid and couldn't. And now she's having a kid that's paving the way for this kid. The revolution started in the most unexpected way with unexpected people. 
It didn't make any sense by cultural standards. In a culture that celebrates, that celebrates having it together, of having your family name be important and impressive, of having money, of having stuff, it's not really all that different from our culture today. That's what is celebrated. That's what everybody went after. And she's singing a song that's a revolutionary idea that says, actually, God is more interested in bringing those people to a humble place and then raising up the people who are truly humble. It's not saying that he hates wealth or people that are influential. It's pride. It's people that think that they deserve it. The, the number one way to miss Jesus is to think that you deserve his blessings. But the humble, she sings, the humble he lifts up, the humble he honors, the humble he uses, humble like me. No one cares about me. No one knows me. No one knows Elizabeth. No, no. He uses the humble. And so he begins this revolution in the most unexpected way. People would have expected the God of the universe to come down in like a flaming chariot and overflow the Ro- overthrow the Roman government. And he came like this. He came very simply, very humbly. Think about what we celebrate in our culture, in our, our social media, when we just put our we just kind of put our best foot face forward and we want to look like we have it all together or we celebrate fake kind of class b c d celebrities from reality television that haven't done anything we we just we like fame we like stuff we like more we like wealth. that's the way of the world that's the world system and it's so insidious in fact that even the more you get the less you feel like you have because you're exposed to oh, oh, oh if i only had this and yet Mary sings about a God who says, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do it this way. And maybe I'll send my son in the most humble of circumstances to save this world. Not to draw attention, not to, not to overthrow with force, not to lead this violent revolution, but to lead a revolution of love. And I'm going to use you, Mary, and you, Elizabeth, Think about it. The people, the famous names of that day, Caiaphas, Herod, Caesar. Caesar's a salad today. You know, I mean, (laughs) these guys are footnotes. These guys are footnotes in the story of Mary. Because she believed. Because she believed. God's is an upside-down kingdom. He honors humility He says over and over that the last will be first. And the people that think they're first, they're going to end up last. The humble, I'm going to exalt. But the people who just are constantly trying to exalt themselves, it's not going to go as well for them. They'll be humbled. The Bible says that the believers who in humble circumstances should take pride in their high position. And then you, you, you might say, well, there's, there's, you know, this has been going on for 200 years. Why are there still, you know, power struggles and so much evil in the world? And why is this kind of backwards king? Why hasn't it won yet? Why is there still so much struggle? Can't God just wipe it all out? Can't he just fix it? He is. He's in the process of doing it. And guess what? You're his plan. The question is, 
Are you joining him? Are you joining him in this unexpected, subtle, humble revolution of love that's been coming, that's been birthing, that's been moving throughout the years, throughout generations, and is still at play today. Will you join them? So I want to take it out of the, of the theoretical and bring it, make it really practical this morning. And I've asked Monica to help me. She's going to come and share a little bit about what this can actually look like for you and me to participate in God's upside-down kingdom and his revolution of love right here in our, our own neighborhood. Would you welcome Monica? Thanks, Caleb. So what does it look like for us to live in this upside-down kingdom in a world where we all are seeking after something? We're all desperate for something, usually the next best thing. The new iPhone 5S, a new car, a new house, a new job, maybe a new relationship. Yet God comes in and flips all of that upside down, just as Caleb has been talking about. And when I graduated from college a few years ago, um, I was seeking after the next best thing. I had a successful job already with an event planning company, and I had opportunities to advance and make more money and continue on this upward career trajectory that we all want, or at least we think that we do. But I knew that even though that's what made sense, that God was calling me to flip my world upside down and do something that didn't make sense to the world or me. And I moved to Mexico. A lot of you know that I spent two and a half years um, working at an orphanage in Mexico. And in those two and a half years, God flipped my world upside down and my life was changed. I gained a totally new perspective and I was challenged to learn what it looked like to give, to serve, and to love in ways that only by the grace of God were possible. And I'll never forget the conversation that I had with the director of the orphanage, just a couple weeks into my time there, I went to her and asked her, what, what can I do? What should I be doing with these kids, with these girls, like an activity or, you know, what does the schedule look like? And she said, nothing. You don't need to do anything. Just be with them. Just be with them. And it was in that moment that my perspective changed. It wasn't about my achievements anymore. It wasn't about my success anymore. My perfection didn't matter anymore. It was me being with them, and that was enough. It was me going low, not advancing myself as the world wanted me to, because the kids in Mexico didn't and still don't care about my education or about the career that I could have had or about the car that I drive. They cared about me being with them and loving on them and living life with them. And that was enough. So it was there in Mexico that I learned how to live differently and how to celebrate differently. And as we enter into this holiday season, really how to do Christmas differently. It wasn't about the anxiety of making sure I was buying the right gift for the right person here, or getting caught up with overwhelming schedules of the holidays. 
but it was me slowing down and living the simple life of sharing a meal with these kids and giving them gifts that they might have otherwise not received. And that was enough. I was able to do it then, and I still get to do it today, going back there at Christmas and taking them gifts. I got to say no to what the world wanted me to, and yes to Jesus. So our church gets to approach Huntington Beach in that same exact way. How do we come in not with flashing lights and say, look at us, but how do we come in and love and serve? How do we uplift and enhance what's already going on in this community? How do we join God in what he's already doing in this awesome place? The answer is we need you. We need every single one of you because I can't do it by myself. Caleb can't do it by himself. It's all of us. You get to join us. We get to join God in this amazing movement. And really, it looks different for each of us. For me, part of my story was living in Mexico. But you don't have to go to Mexico. You don't have to get head lice. You don't have to get a parasite. You don't have to pray for toilet paper, really. You can stay right here in Huntington Beach, and God wants to use you just the same. Because guess what? I moved back. I live here in Orange County now. And to be honest, it's a lot easier to celebrate differently in Mexico, because that's the only option there. Life is so much simpler. So I get to learn what that looks like for me to celebrate differently here in Huntington Beach, here with our friends at the Pacific Court apartment complex, here with the families of the Oakview community, here with our homeless neighbors. And just like the kids in Mexico, it breaks my heart to know that there might be kids in this community that would go this holiday season without a meal, without a gift, that might go without a smile or without a hug. They might go this holiday season without experiencing truly who we're celebrating and why we celebrate this season. So I ask you this morning, what does your heart break for? because we are inviting you into this. All of us get the opportunity to celebrate different. And many of you are already making an incredible difference here in Huntington Beach, coming in and bringing redemption to people's lives by loving and serving in ways that this world doesn't expect us to. You might remember back in the spring, we had our Be Fearless Outreach Weekend, and so many of you contributed generously to bless our ministry partners here in Huntington Beach. We have volunteers that are making a difference on a regular basis. Volunteers at Pacific Court that tutor 16 kids every week, and they're making a difference. I just had a conversation with one of the moms there a couple weeks ago, and she was sharing with me that she moved from India a couple years ago. And a lot of the families in Pacific Court are Spanish-speaking, so there was that language barrier for them. And she always had the fear of having to, to overcome that language barrier. So it was until a month ago when we had an event there in Pacific Court that that was the first time that she was able to have a conversation with those other moms. That was the first time she was able to truly feel a part of that community because we were there to help bridge that gap. And now these moms are meeting on a weekly basis, living life and doing life together. 
you are making a difference. We just took a group down to Mexico last Saturday, 16 people doing construction. And one of the volunteers that, with, that was with us shared part of her story with me and shared that as we approach the holiday season that it's really a painful time for her and her family because of divorce and depression. And that for the past five years that she hasn't celebrated Christmas. And she shared that on Saturday, it was one of the first times in five years that she felt like she was able to do something good for someone else. And now she's excited about what it might look like for her family to redeem Christmas and to celebrate in a new and different way. You all are making a difference. These volunteers said something, said yes to something different. I got to say yes to something different. Were there insecurities, fears, questions, sacrifices? Absolutely, because it's not always pretty or comfortable. So I ask you today, would you say yes to something different than you normally would? That in a culture that spends $450 billion this holiday season, would you say yes to less busyness and to less spending money? And say yes to celebrating the way that Jesus did through giving and serving and loving. Will you dare to say no to what the culture calls us to and say yes to joining us on this adventure? Because this is the people that you are. This is the people that we are. And so it's Outreach Weekend, and we have simplified all of this for you. There are a number of ways throughout the next eight weeks that you can participate in celebrating different. Um, we'll be doing a meal on Thanksgiving with our homeless friends. Starting next week, we will have Christmas wish list tree on the patio that you can take tags off of and bless a family with gifts that they might otherwise not get. We'll also have a big Christmas extravaganza party in December that we invite all of you to participate in. But today, our focus is on feeding the children and families of Huntington Beach. And you heard earlier um, some statistics on Orange County and hunger here. And if we apply that to kids, there are one in five children that risk going hungry this month in Orange County. If all of you in this auditorium were children, that means 25 of you would go hungry this month. That's at least the first four rows and I'm not okay with that. We are not okay with that because we want to make a difference in the lives of those around us. So there will be people on the patio in these lovely green shirts that can help you figure out what it looks like for you to celebrate different, that can help you figure out how to give, how to serve, and how to love in new ways. You'll receive one of these green shopping bags as you leave with a shopping list, and we ask that you would fill it and that you would bring it back and join us in blessing the families of Oakview community and other families in Huntington Beach neighborhoods. And I was already so blessed earlier this morning. One of our um, 830 attendees um, got a bag, and before second service had even started, she had gone to Walmart, and she came back, and her bag was full because she was excited. And so that is my hope that Next week, you all would come back with these bags. Not today, next week. And that you would join us in making a difference in this community and that we would all together put Jesus on display here in Huntington Beach.
And we do that not just because it's Thanksgiving and Christmas season. We do that because it's who we are. This is who we are as a church. We are people committed to following Jesus in this ongoing revolution, to being on display and showing the world his love because we have received it, because we are grateful people. The question is, is the revolution still on? Are you living it? Or are you just going kind of thing to thing? Work, happy hour, home, morning, workout, work, dinner, home. Or are you a part of his ongoing story in the world around you? The revolution looks like the Pope putting his hands on a man with boils all over his face. The revolution looks like the people who got here at 6 a.m. this morning to set up so that the rest of us could celebrate and people could get a glimpse of Jesus, some for the first time. The revolution looks like people who go and tutor at Pacific Court or at Oakview. The revolution is when you sit with someone who's just experienced loss and you cry with them. Revolution is filling up a bag full of canned food or whatever it is. Revolution is saying yes to what God is inviting you to. It's saying it's resisting the temptation to pursue the, the prideful things and saying yes to following this humble God of the universe who came in the most humble way to set things in motion that would change the way the world operates. You can be a part of that. We will be a part of that. God, we just thank you for your humble and generous expression of love to us. We are so grateful. And God, we want to participate now with you in your ongoing revolution of love. We want to love others well. We don't want to just look for how people can benefit us, but we want to serve those who are poor, who are in humble situations, who are on the outsides, who are forgotten, who are lost. Help illuminate those people in our lives. Help us have hearts of compassion. Forgive us for our own pride and arrogance and help us become those humble people that you can use to change this world. That's what we want. We want to join you in Jesus' name.